In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning. You can tell it's November because we have the parable of the talents as our gospel today. It makes me wonder if the lectionary came first or the stewardship campaigns or the other way around. Uh, usually this parable is used to illustrate sound financial planning, which will lead to giving more money to the church. So although the church is a very worthwhile cause, I mean, it does pay my salary. Jesus's parables describe the kingdom of God always in terms of the least, the little, and the lost. This, therefore, is not a lesson in financial management, but the gospel of Jesus Christ for the world weary and the grace needy. So let's review this story again. A man is going away for a long time and entrusts his assets to his three servants until he returns. He gives them a currency called talents, each one of which is equivalent to 20 years of wages. So imagine your boss going to, let's say, I don't know, Greenland for years and giving you his checkbook with eight figures. So what would you do? Well, the problem with interpreting the parable this way is that it leads to us thinking about the money, how to make more money according to our ability. Of course, we understand when we think of it that way, why the third servant takes a shovel and buries it so he won't get into trouble because we would feel doubtful that we could pull off the side of hand that the other two servants use to double what they've been given. So in this, is this the story of judgment of two optimists and one pessimist? Verse 15 is the crux of this matter, where the master gives the servants a certain amount of talents. And then it says each according to his ability, meaning that the servants have varying abilities. This is where we get the talents of the parable confused with our own talents. We typically hear in this parable an admonition to use your God-given talents well to make God happy to the best of one's ability. Now, I'm not suggesting that Jesus doesn't think you should do something well. I am suggesting that we overrate our abilities and underrate what Jesus has done for us and given us. In theological terms, it means that we have a high anthropology or the belief that humans can do anything they set their minds to. If we need a little help accomplishing our goals, we can call on God. Otherwise, we can report in with all of our good deeds and accomplishment, accomplishments as evidence of our abilities. When you translate this into pandemic language, we hear that we need to find a silver lining or stay positive to overcome our feelings of powerlessness and vulnerability. Kate Bowler, the Duke professor who wrote Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies That I Have Loved, likens this response to the pandemic as Wizard of Oz thinking. She says, we're living in the midst of an airborne pandemic, which strikes down the righteous and the unrighteous. But instead, you're going to hear some inspirational figure on Instagram telling you, isn't this just pressing the reset button? Or... Isn't this an opportunity for you to spend more time with your kids? And so all of a sudden, this global tragedy is now pulled into an overly causal tight framework in which you have to learn the lesson or else you're not getting it. We're being told to find the silver lining and unleash your inner potential to be positive 
so that we will muscle through faster, better, stronger, rather than our loser neighbor who succumbed to depression. We somehow got confused with the rosy Instagram filter and that kind of exhausting positivity really confuses positivity for a very deep and intense and richer kind of hope. So the kind of hope that Kate is talking about is a faithful in seeing a thing for what it is and admitting our powerlessness and vulnerability. It is the gospel of dread pirate Roberts to the princess bride when he says, life is pain, highness, and anyone who says otherwise is selling something. The before the pandemic is gone. So how do we live in the middle before the after? Do we have the ability to see what's going on in the world today? To see into the far country of post-pandemic and what the after will be? How do we continue to live in the present tense of heightened discomfort, including and especially the discomfort of those we love or those we hate? A low anthropology is the understanding that humans are self-centered and full of fear and therefore in need of a savior. Martin Luther wrote, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in true faith. So the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us that he loves us when we are at the outer limits of our positive worldview, abandoned by our invincibility and ability to see the future. He loves us when we are out of patience with our kids who are out of patience with us. He loves us when we've had too much of togetherness and just want some time alone. He loves us when we have given up on prayer because we haven't seen any outcome. This is the amount of grace that Jesus is handing out to the undeserving and the lost. So this parable about the talents is not about the three servants' ability, but rather about the generous man who goes away for a time. Theologian Dick Lang, Dirk Lang, excuse me, tells us that an allegorical twist happens when we see the master as Jesus, who is present with his servants, leaves them great wealth, and then returns again after a long time. He says, Jesus Christ cannot be interpreted as a hard slave master who demands unjust practices for profit from his servants. We are forced to see the master inviting his servants into a fullness, a superabundance of grace that is continually offered. The master is inviting his servants to share in his joy with his gift of faith to them. The third servant is buried in the scarcity of fear rather than risk surrender to the abundance of grace. It is an exposition of our human desire to escape pain and protect ourselves rather than live in our current reality where Christ has promised to always be present. We do not have life in ourselves. Life comes to us as a multifaceted gift of pain, joy, 
uncertainty, vulnerability, love, and light. Jesus did not die so that we would be happy and positive. Jesus died so that we would know that he alone can conquer death and abundantly grace us, even when we stray from him. We are invited into what we most need, in the middle of what we most don't want, which is to see the pattern of life, death, and resurrection that does not yield to positivity or invincibility, but rather exposes our vulnerability and need for a Savior. Jesus' rescue mission is for those of us who fear the judgment of the Master and yet fearfully spurn His grace. It is no mistake that Jesus calls himself the resurrection and the life. He meets us in the little graveyard of our abilities with new life beyond what we can see in this present reality. We don't have to know what's going on or how to be in this present moment or know the future, but we can trust that Jesus does, that he is present, seen or unseen and is supplying the grace that we need in this and every moment. So in closing, I'd like for us to remember the words that were sung in our opening hymn today by Paul Zock, Jessica Fox, and Tyler Hutcherson on keyboards. It's a beautiful song based on a prayer by Archbishop Frederick Temple. O Lord Jesus Christ, take us to yourself. Draw us with cords to the foot of your cross. For we have no strength to come, and we know not the way. You are mighty to save, mighty to save, and nothing can separate us from your love. Amen.